I got fixed in my eye. <laughs> so. Welcome to Fakey Girls. Welcome to Fakey Girls. All your base are belong to us. It's not in my eye. It's just the fumes are in my eye. I can smell it. Uh, hello, and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy. I'm a writer. And in high school, I watched Fruits Basket and I love Kyo. And I'm 33 years old and I watch Fruits Basket and I love Kyo. I'm a marketer and like literally the same. <laughs> I love Kyo so much. I can't handle it. It's like... My love, I love other people, but my love for Kyo knows no bounds. True, true. Uh, today we're talking about the first half of the Fruits Basket manga by Natsuki Takaya and the original anime series, which debuted in 1998 and 2001, respectively. Uh, the story follows Toru Honda. I'll get into. I can't pronounce. I can pronounce things, but I will forget. Uh, Toru is a young girl living on a, in a tent on the property of the Soma family after the death of her mother. It happens. Uh, Toru is this upbeat and almost frighteningly frighteningly compassionate girl who ends up moving in with the Soma family. Uh, specifically, she moves in with Shigure, Yuki, and Shigure. Kyo. <laughs> after they find out that she is great at housework and she finds out that they all have a secret when hugged by, the, by a person of a different gender, cursed members of the Soma family turn into the animals of the Chinese Zodiac plus the cat. You may be thinking, why the fuck are they <laughs> listening or watching or reading this? It's good. We've done weirder stuff. Yeah. Um, in this first chunk of the manga and anime, a lot happens, but the gist is that Toru bonds with the various members of the Soma family, helping them heal from the rifts between themselves and others, thanks to the curse, and from the intergenerational trauma of the curse itself. Uh, the Soma family, especially Kyo and Yuki, who form a sort of love triangle with Toru, in turn push her to stop putting everybody, everybody else before herself. Um, a couple of notes before we begin. Mary and I are both American. Regrettably, uh, and we are coming at this from an American perspective, um, especially as neither of us are particularly well versed in anime or manga. Like, I would not say that that is either of our areas of mm -mm. expertise. We've watched them. We've read them. That means nothing. I have like I think if you stopped a random person on the street, we've watched more manga than that or we've watched more anime than that yeah. person. If you ask like a random nerd, they've probably watched more than yeah. us. Um so when we talk about cultural context or we make claims about like quote unquote culture, we are speaking primarily about American culture because that's what we know. Um, while we can, you know, we can totally read articles about misogyny or queer culture in Japan. And I, in fact, did read a couple of articles for this episode. You know, we can read articles, but that's not the same as living it. Um, also, for the sake of simplicity, we'll probably be using the American method of referring to people, i.e., Toru instead of Honda uh, and our pronunciations will probably be off although honestly thank god for the second fruits basket animes because I do not want to hear Shigure pronounced like Shigure ever again I was really confused when, when she kept calling Yuki Soma I was like oh what? yeah why him Soma but Kyo Kyo because I think she met Yuki first ah. so Yuki is Soma and Kyo is Kyo um, also, please note that because we are only discussing the first part of the story, I have made deliberate choices about how I'm referring to certain characters to avoid spoiling Mary or anybody else. Please don't correct me. I did things with a deliberate purpose. Um, We're always deliberate here. 
that's not true. We're but in, always deliberate. In this case, I was deliberate about the 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 words that I chose. Um, so speaking of terminology, I think before we get into like the story, which we'll get into that as well, I want to talk about some terminology uh, with regard to anime and manga, um, especially since they're not our strong suit. Uh, and I think the genre and demographic of Fruits Basket can tell us a lot about what the goals of the story are. Um, so I first, before we get into anything else, want to talk about Fruits Basket as a part of its genre of shoujo manga. Shoujo manga is aimed primarily at a young female audience. Unlike YA fiction in the U.S., there is an intentional as opposed to assumed gendered component to shoujo. So in America, when we talk about YA fiction, we're talking about children, we're talking about fiction for a young adult audience, irrespective of gender, even though there is a gender assumption that YA fiction is about girls, um, which has more to do with the uh, expectations for who is a reader in American culture as opposed to other places in the world. Um, however, in when we're talking about manga, shoujo manga is specifically targeted at young girls and shonen manga is targeted at young boys. Uh, and they have different plot elements too. They have different different plots, different themes, um, totally different elements that make them not necessarily distinct genres, but distinct markets. They're like they're targeted at different demographics in different ways. Um, there are also specific manga for young adults, as in uh, as in people who are eighteen to twenty five, which is something that we don't have as much of here in America. Um, those are called Jose for young women and uh, Seinen Seinen for young men. So there is a distinction between young adult, like the way that people think a young adult is in the U.S., but are often mistaken in terms of demographics. So like when we say young adult, we're talking about a demographic of readers from like 13 to 18 or even 13 to like 21. Hmm. But when you hear young adult, you think more like 20 to 25 does that it's all very confusing. It is very confusing because these are like marketing demographics. They're not meant to be genre. It's... It's when I a think whole... of young adult, I think of younger than that. Right, but that you also are immersed in young true. adult reading. If I just said, oh, he's a young adult, what age would you think he was? I'd say early 20s. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, I don't associate adults with teens, so that does make sense. Yeah. Uh, so shoujo, shoujo can come in any genre, although romance is very popular. Uh, and after 1975, self-fulfillment, so like growth and like becoming the person that you want to become, became one of the predominant themes of shoujo manga. Uh, so in 2D, this is a quote from 2D Boys, 3D Desires, a critical fan's primer to romance, sexuality, and gender in shoujo manga, anime, and otome video games, which is by Catherine M. Rondazzo. Uh, who writes, These demarcations aside, the manga I will be discussing in this independent study fits somewhat clearly into the shoujo label, and for good reason. Otome games are commonly based on the more straightforward shoujo series, that is to say, the series that, are more, that more strictly adhere to the genre's tropes. Along with having a very distinct style and visual language, another point of note about shoujo manga is that, as Paul Gravett mentions in his book Manga, 60 Years of Japanese Comics, the genre also delves into surprisingly deep themes in comparison to their male-oriented counterparts. Quote, Tales of school... school Why do I have such trouble with this word? Tales of schoolgirls, unlucky in love, can veer into heartfelt and ultimately life-affirming exposés of bullying, depression, lesbian attraction, self-harming, parental abuse and divorce, pupil-teacher teacher scandals, I can't talk, suicide attempts, even conspiracies to blow up the school. This is crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. 
So much like YA fiction as we know it in the in the U.S., shoujo manga may be seen as frivolous or shallow, uh, but it also tends to weave elements of serious storylines and real life experiences into its more fantastical or romantic plots. It loves to just be like, oh, you think you're having a good time, right? <laughs> you think you're having a good time? Just kidding. Let's fucking destroy you. <laughs> um you can see this demonstrated in Fruits Basket, where the concept, humans turn into animals, is quite silly on the surface. But throughout throughout this manga are, seri- are stories about interge- intergenerational trauma, abuse, grief, and so on. Like, it's, it's in fact quite serious, um, even as it is also very funny. Um, this essay also points out that there are gendered expectations for shoujo versus shonen manga as well. Shoujo tend to have deeper themes, whereas that's not an expectation of shonen. Sounds like shonen is the frivolous, shallow. I think, and this is this is when we get into like one of the sticky parts of me not being Japanese is I can't talk about like I, I simply don't know what the expect like what the um concept of these stories is in Japan. I know that like the concept of an otaku, like an obsessive fan, if I remember correctly, is like it would be shameful in Japan to be called an otaku, Mm -hmm. whereas it's like almost a badge of pride Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. And so I don't know if like in the U.S. it's perfectly normal for children to read YA fiction, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know that it is as like okay in Japan. Hmm. So it might just be that all of this fiction is seen as frivolous Mm. and not just shoujo specifically. Um, But again, I'm, I'm speaking as a total outsider to both do not only anime and manga, but also just entirely a cultural outsider outsider. Cause I don't, I don't know anywhere near enough about Japanese culture to make that kind of claim. Um, but I think it is also worth noting that a lot of times anything for young girls is seen as frivolous. Yeah, that's why I say that because that's why I say that because it just always feels like if it's for girls, then it must not be as legitimate. Like this is not a similar, this is not the same, but like, um, like emo bands mm-hmm. whereas they're just as legitimate as bands that like men like or they are like just as much as men they just don't no one says it are seen as like boy bands essentially right. and like i hate this idea that because a lot of women like something makes it whatever yeah it pisses me off yeah and i, I don't know like again i just that's an american yeah from a thing. from from a culture standpoint i simply don't have enough information to say what the perception of shonen manga or shonen anime is in Japan. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is a gendered component to it. Uh, but I'm not widely read enough, nor am I Japanese to make, to say like shonen is definitely more immature than shoujo. Mm. I can't say that. Um, that doesn't mean that shoujo is inherently better, right? Uh, only that there is an expectation that shoujo will handle more complex issues than shonen. So I think a way to think about this is that rather than shoujo just like being better because it's shoujo, it's more so that with sh- if you're sitting down to read a shoujo manga, there's an expectation that it will have some of these deeper themes. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're, if you're sitting down to read shonen, you may not have that expectation. Well, that's good because things get so fucking depressing. You're like, at least I know then. <laughs> you can always escape into shonen. Uh, and I think there's a lot of claims that you can make from this, right? The, the myth that girls mature faster 
than boys. Therefore, they can handle more mature themes, for example. Uh, but again, I want to be wary of making these claims about a culture that isn't mine, especially because I did not research that angle. We sure do like to like lately do things that are not necessarily our culture we yeah UK <laughs> Dairy Girls Dairy Girls shout out to all those listeners to the Dairy Hell Girls yeah. episodes from Ireland I, I hope we didn't embarrass ourselves too bad no one said anything <laughs> no one said anything so I'm just gonna operate under the assumption we did a great job or they're just like well they're American so they can't yeah. <laughs> they gave us a pass we're American our school system sucks um also, new Dairy Girl season's coming out, so uh, be prepared, everybody. So ready. Um, oh, I think it's enough to know that the, that there is this expectation that shoujo manga will dive into these themes, um, especially be, because something like Fruits Basket looks and sounds really silly on the surface. Like, yes, it does. The premise sounds silly, and if you look at the art, you're like, oh, that's some silliness. That's some typical young anime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that may change the way that the audience around the world would interact with something like this. Like if there is in Japan, the expectation that shoujo will have deeper themes, it may not be such a surprise to a Japanese mm -hmm. reader that it goes into these darker places. Whereas an American viewer such as myself is kind of blindsided by the back half of the anime suddenly being so fucking sad. Mm -hmm. Just I'm talking about the first anime here. Just so sad. So this is a quote from Girls Return Home, portrayal of femininity in popular Japanese girls manga and anime texts during the 1990s in Hana Yori Dango and Fruits Basket, which is by Kuki Cho, who writes, Being a shoujo in Japan not only requires behaving according to one's physical age, but it also necessitates behavioral traits that are related to kawaii, cuteness. John Tree explains, quote, The word most often associated with the shoujo, shoujo culture is kawaii or cute, unquote. Though the term cute may be associated with a more positive, outgoing attitude in the West, the Japanese idea of cuteness includes a degree of weakness that makes the shoujo dependent on others. According to Sharon Kinsella, the terms cute, kawaii, and pitiful, kawaiso, may produce similar reactions in Japan. Quote, Although cute was principally about childishness, a sense of weakness and disability, which is part of childishness, was a very important constituent of the cute aesthetic. In fact, cute and pitiful were often the same thing. Again, here's an example of a major cultural difference. Cuteness in the U.S. may have an association with naivety, naivete. That's one of those words that like, I learned by reading, and now I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Can I just tell you, every time you say blank, blank, blank in the USA, I, I hear whatever you're saying, like... Anarchy in the UK, but it's, <laughs> but it's whatever you're saying in the USA. No, it should be to uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Two different cuteness in the, the USA. USA. Cuteness in I the like USA. Cuteness in the USA, <laughs> as if it's some punk ideal. <laughs> um, so cuteness in the US may have this association with uh, naivety. We're going to go with that. I think it's naivety. Or youth. But it doesn't necessarily have the connotation of weakness that Chu suggests it does in Japan. Um, and that's very interesting when looking at Fruits Basket, which is very much a shoujo manga. It's very, very cute and concerns a lot of characters who are, in fact, very naive and for a certain definition, weak. Right? Yeah. I don't want to use weak here as a purely negative word especially because of how I want to apply it think of when I'm saying a character is weak um 
think of it more as a state of development rather than a judgment about like trauma responses making you not a strong person. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is weak as a stage of development rather than as a strong weak binary. It's just we don't have a word for it. I mean, there's probably a highly specific word that I could choose to use and everybody would be like, what the fuck does that mean? But I don't know what that word is and I didn't look. Missy's also like, what the fuck, fuck does that word exactly. mean? Exactly. Um, so when looking at Fruits Basket, especially where we are in the story about halfway through in the manga and um, through just the first season of the anime, uh, we're seeing a lot of characters who could be classified as weak, not in terms of physical strength, although that could also be true of some of the characters, but in terms of emotional development. It feels like a lot of all of the behaviors is extremely toxic. And I don't mm -hmm. mean that like this is toxic. I mean, like, let's get let's let's work this out. Yeah, there's been a lot of toxic shit happening here yeah one of the clearest examples of this th this i think is kyo he's physically strong right he's very he can beat up anybody except yuki um but he responds to every single stimulus negative or positive with fury like he flies into a rage about anything it doesn't matter if toru gives him a fucking compliment he's mad about it um his weakness then isn't physical, right? It, and it's not that he's passive. It's his entire lack of self-control and the way that that self-control hurts other people and isolates him that can be read as weakness, not the fact that he's physically weak or that he's naive. So do you think that when he finds his self-control, he will finally be able to beat Yuki? Or do you think it's a thing that's like mystical of Yuki can never beat the rat? Um... I think it might be a mixture of both. And I, so I've had something spoiled about the ending for me, but not everything. I like, I don't know what the actual outcome of this Yuki Kyo fight is going to be, but this is my theory as a, as a, a method of demonstrating growth on both of their parts. I think eventually they're going to refuse to fight. That's probably like the mature thing to do. Yeah, but I really want to see Kyo win. I honestly, I think if Kyo wins, it will be because Yuki has chosen to let him win. Mm. Um, not in that, not in the way of like letting him think he's won, but like Yuki's not going to feel the need to fight him anymore for this position. Yeah, that's that's my thinking. But that anger that Kyo feels and that violence, especially in the anime, which is like it features a lot more physical violence than the manga does. Um, that anger is often framed as immaturity, right? Mm. Like it's not, it's never showing Kyo is justified in the way that he behaves. It's shown as immaturity. It might be funny in a way that I think aligns with the idea of cuteness is just like, oh, it's so cute how he can't control his emotions because he is just a weak little baby. That's just Kyo being Kyo. Yeah. But it's not, it's not framed as a positive. Like it's, it's not, Miley. he's just being Miley. It's not like his, his anger is not framed as a positive in any way. The only time it is is when he was able to get over it and tell Toru something like, "Yes, like don't, don't always be so selfless. Please mm -hmm. be selfish." Mm -hmm. which, which, yeah, please, yeah, please, Toru. On the other hand, you have a character like Toru who is cute and sweet and charming, but also literally physically weak and extremely passive, right? Um, but at the same time, her, her compassion and her empathy are incredibly strong, probably the strongest in the entire show. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, the only time I had a hard time with her empathy where I was like, this is too much for me is when she, and obviously in the original one that we're talking about, when she went to 
um, Akito and was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, he doesn't deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it went too far, Taro. You've gone too far. Um, and, like, not to mention that she has survived these huge losses, so much so that those losses then feed back into her being passive. Um, overcoming that weakness is something that Kyo begins to teach her, encouraging her to be selfish and to look out for herself as well as other people. He's not saying only look out for yourself. He's saying look out for other people, but also look out for yourself. You're important, too. I love him. Um, so whether intentionally or not, I think Takaya, the, the mangaka, is doing something really interesting here within the shoujo genre. It's like Fruits Basket is an examination of the like quote unquote weakness side of cuteness, often showing that weakness is a step on a journey elsewhere rather than a permanent state of being. So did you also have the experience of like watching Toru now and being like being able to point out like what you're doing is toxic? Yeah. And I, I think that as a kid, maybe I wouldn't have internalized that as mm -hmm. much. Um, especially because I I think if I relate to any character in Fruits Basket, it's Toru. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like, wow, that's Missy. Yeah, that's like dude. If you put the the two characters, I think that are most the ones I would um, relate to most are probably uh, Toru and the Ritsu's mother who owns the bat the hot springs. I w yeah, I would agree, <laughs> but I would also say your inner self is Kyo. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, your inner self is cute. I feel like when I was growing up watching it and like seeing Toru, I definitely grew up with a mother who was like, um, like told me like, um, being nice will get you further in life and like to always be not, you know, your manners are important and to be selfless. And like, I grew up feeling that way and like uh, striving to be that. So I see Toru and I was like, yeah, that's what I should strive towards. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, niceness gets you nowhere. <laughs> it is the kind thing to do and you do it because it's the right thing. But like having to unlearn all that stuff is really, really difficult. So I can't even imagine the <laughs> the work Toru is going to have to put in. We'll talk more about toxic positivity yeah. later. But I think that even before like toxic positivity was something that we talked about in like the mainstream, I think that this anime is is talking about toxic positivity without mm -hmm. talking about toxic positivity. Um, but yeah, I think watching this as a teenager, I was not cognizant of Toru's behavior mm -hmm. as being toxic um, and like how self-destructive to an extent that they are. Uh, and now watching it as an adult, I wish that I had had more of the story to kind of, yeah. because it, it ends at an unfortunate point where like you don't see the back half of that growth um and i wish that i had seen that earlier so this kind of go on being slightly better versions that they were yeah um which doesn't work so this is a quote from Japanese anime heroines as role models for U.S. youth, wishful identification, parasocial interaction, and intercultural intercultural entertainment effects, which is by Srivdiya Ramasubramanian and Sarah Cornfield. Apologies for my pronunciation of that name. I did my best. Remarkably warm characters who maintain an indomitable optimism, selflessness, friendliness, and a clear vision of morality, shoujo heroines are engaged in pro-social behaviors. Pro-social behaviors are, quote, desirable and beneficial to other individuals and or to society at large, unquote. 
As such, pro-social characters are essentially positive role models. Shoujo heroines not only maintain pro-social behaviors, but they also teach the other characters to behave pro-socially. For example, in Fruits Basket, the heroine, Toru Honda, first befriends an angry, bitter boy named Kyo, and then teaches him how to look for the good in others, start friendly conversations, and develop healthy relationships. Moreover, the heroines have pro-social mottos or slogans that they repeatedly state throughout the series. Using Fruits Basket as an example again, Toru's mottos are, be safe, and Toru <laughs> Honda never gives up. She doesn't. She doesn't. Uh, this raises an interesting question for me. Are the characters of Fruits Basket, especially Toru, role models? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. No. <laughs> and the I- aspects of them are like, are, but um, no. The thing is, like, I want to be a compassionate person like Toru. I like, I genuinely want to be a, c- a compassionate person like Toru. But the thing is, Toru doesn't realize how unhappy she is mm-hmm. until she meets the Somas and she has support of her own. Maybe her friends. Yes. And maybe Momiji. Yes. Because Momiji is very like, I want to be happy and I want to make the best of my situation, but also like, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Unless it's my mother. Yeah. I think that they're, I don't think any of these characters are role models in the sense of I want to be just like them, but I want to aspire to the strength that they commit themselves to. Yeah, I mean, I think what Tora is going through, it's like, like she's going through a lot, but the strength that she has to have to, mm-hmm. to just to just even like just live her life right. is admirable. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just not using it correctly. Like, I don't admire Kyo's behavior. No. I admire every time... Like, there was one episode, I think this is from the newer anime, so... Sorry. Sorry, but uh, there's a scene that I think we watched last night where his rage meter, like, he has, like, a visual rage meter, and it fills up to the top, and you can see him just about to explode, and then he chooses not to, and the rage meter goes back down. Yeah. That is the admirable trait. Yeah. The, the, the desire to indulge in that behavior and then to choose not to do it. And that's what he's working to. Yeah, that that is the role model part. Yeah. It's not acting like Kyo. Just like with Toru, it's the part being selfish is not or being selfless is not the role model part. The role model part is that she re- when she realizes I have to take care of myself to take care yeah. of others. She's going to get there. They're yes. all going to get there, but right now, no. You're right. <laughs> For most of the characters, I don't think that they are role models, right? But I think that has more to do with Toru's flaws being more palatable and accepted. Yeah. Um Especially when we think about her flaws as gendered. Toru is unendingly kind, no matter how much it may harm her. Um, she's always patient. She's always giving. But I think the story actually does this really good job of showing us that that can be harmful, too. Mm-hmm. It does do a really good job. Yeah. That, which I think is uh, why I think that the new one is maybe more effective because I think a lot of people have the tools to now actually understand that as opposed right. to when we were younger, at least at our age, didn't necessarily have the tools to break that down. Nor do I think that the original was doing it better. Right. And like, I think there's a certain extent that you could argue this. Like, I think that there are cultural differences coming into play, given what I know of like Japan's work culture and like the fact that they're a more collectivist country than the U.S., um, but I can't, I can't speak in depth on that. But I, I think it's worth noting that there are also cultural influences that may dif- like may shift our interpretation somewhat. Um, so it's easier to look at Toru up front and say, that's a role model, right? Like if you're a parent, 
showing Fruits Basket to your child or watching Fruits Basket with your child and you see Toru's behavior and you're like, oh, she works so hard to take care of people. That's a role model. Mm -hmm. Um, But what makes her interesting to me is how the people around her correct her and show her that she is loved and that she also deserves care. Especially her friends. Yeah, which to me is the actual role model part, not the fact that she's kind. It's in fact very easy for Toru to be (laughs) kind. It, It is almost a coping mechanism. Exactly. Um, to me, the greater example of Toru as a role model is not that she's upbeat and empathetic and kind. It's when she recognizes that those things are hurting her mm-hmm. and she lets other people help her value herself as much as she values others. That's what makes like the scene when she decides like she it's okay for her to say she wants to go back home mm-hmm. instead of living with horrible people. Like that was such a strong like um, scene because mm-hmm. of that. She would rather suffer than c- consider herself a burden. And that is the when she finally says, I want to go home, that is a moment of tremendous strength for Toru, even though it's something that would be quite easy for somebody else. Yeah. It would be nothing to Kyo. Yeah. Kyo would be like, fuck you, I'm out. Yeah. Right? And Yuki would just leave. Yeah. Toru doesn't have that, like, she doesn't have that confidence to just walk out on something like that. She would stay because she doesn't want to be a burden to the Soma. Like, it's almost surprising that she wasn't like, I'm going to go home to my tent. Yeah. Because she would be so afraid to ask. If her if her tent hadn't been destroyed, I think that's probably what she would have done. Yeah. Like even, and again, this is in the new one when she's afraid to ask if she can stay over New Year's. Girl, you've lived there. Yeah. You've lived there. <laughs> um, that, that behavior, her ability in that moment to say, no, I want to go home. That to me is admirable. And that is very hard to do mm-hmm. when your coping mechanism is to be as useful and helpful and unburdensome as you can. Um, this is a quote from 2D Boys 3D Desires, a critical fan's primer to romance, sexuality, and gender in shoujo manga, anime, and otomo vi- otome video games by Catherine M. Randazzo. I now realize I already said that full title, so going forward, I'm going to refer to it by the short title. Uh, following basic shoujo tropes, Yuki falls into the category of the typical bishonen described sorry, discussed in the first section of this IS, androgynous with wide doe eyes and an acute sense of fashion. Yuki is a mysterious, enigmatic figure. The girls all want him, yet he pushes them away, which makes them want him more. He may seem like an quote-unquote icy prince, but in fact, he is surprisingly kind, offering to take in Toru upon finding her living illegally in a tent on land owned by his family. Moving in with him and his mature and suave cousin Shigure Soma, Toru also meets Kyo Soma, a sundere, more information in glossary, or more information to follow in our description, um, who is the black sheep of the the Soma family, or more appropriately, the outcast cat of the family, as Toru soon finds out. Um, I've realized that for those of you who have read... um a quarter of a quarter of thorns and roses. Yuki is Azrael. Mm. So just to introduce some more new terms that we can use as we continue, uh, Bishonen refers to an androgynous, fashionable young man. Uh, this particularly applies to Yuki, whose gender presentation and whose gender hangups we will discuss more later. Um, the tomb Sundere uh, refers to a hot-headed character who displays warmth over time, which applies <laughs> to Kyo. That's my favorite, um, a favorite trope. <laughs> Sundere is like the term itself isn't necessarily gendered, but it is dipro- disproportionately a trait associated with female characters. So Kyo is Nesta. <laughs> Um, so the two main love interests in this story, Yuki and Kyo, have characteristics that are associated with women or female characters. 
uh, Yuki, like Bishonen, you could, I guess, loosely like associate it with like a term pretty boy in, in English. Um, and Sundere, he was, yeah, he's Sundere. I always get Sundere and Yandere mixed up. Um, so, and then Sundere being disproportionately applied to female characters, that means that both of these love interests for Toru are in some way associated with traits associated with women. Um, we'll talk more about the series' treatment of gender a bit later and definitely into the next episode, but I did want to note these definitions here in case we want to use these words later so that you're not like, hey, what the fuck's a Sundere? Or what the fuck's a Bishonen? Um, I've heard Bishonen before. Um, this is another quote from 2D Boys 3D Desires by Catherine M. Rondazzo. Another reason that Fruits Basket defies shoujo convention is in its portrayal of incest, which is not illegal in Japan, though not exactly encouraged. Moral ramifications of this aside, those with the Zodiac curse can touch each other without transforming, leading to instances of incest between some members, all of whom are Soma cousins. Along with these reasons, Fruits Basket is also an outlier within the world of shoujo due to another aspect of love oftentimes overlooked within the genre, its spotlight on platonic love between those of different sex and gender. But the romance, or lack thereof, between the boys and Toru is not the focus of the plot in the slightest. As the plot goes on, it is revealed that there is far more to the Soma curse and to each character's life than meets the eye. So notably, the age of consent in Japan is 13. Um, so some taboos in our culture are different in Japan. And again, this is not to say that incest or sex with people under 18 are celebrated in Japan. That is not the point that I'm making here. I just want to be abundantly clear. I am not saying that these things are looked upon fondly in Japan. I am only saying that they are not illegal. Um, but this is a very clear cultural difference. And it paints, for example, um, the way that Shigure lusts after high school girls in a different light, right? It is different for Shigure to lust after high school girls to an American audience who's like, Shigure is a criminal. <laughs> versus potentially to a Japanese audience who is like, he's a pervert. Yeah, they like to use the word pervert, and I just think it's slightly different. Yeah, the connotation is different there. You can be a pervert and not do anything illegal. You can be a criminal and also a pervert. Shigure occupies one space in Japan and a different space in America. He would be a perverted pedophile. Yeah, exactly. But that it doesn't carry this. It can be like it's perverted, but it's not criminal. Yeah. Um, he's still a pervert, but the way that the lust reads is different depending on your cultural context. Um. So the relationships between characters in the Soma family read as taboo to us in the U.S., right? We, we understand that many of the Soma family are in relationships with one another, even though they are like blood relatives. Um, that's illegal in the U.S. You can't do that. It's not illegal in Japan. So while it might be taboo, it's not criminal. It's just kind of like, ooh. Okay. Okay. Um, Again, it just it reads differently depending on cultural con context. And I wanted to acknowledge that here because when we when we look at something from outside of the culture it was created in, we're going to bring our own baggage to it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the way that we read a character like Shigure is quite now I did it. So I'm like job. Shigure. Um, it's easy to, to fall into that being an English speaker. Yeah, I think I think in Japanese, the emphasis is on she. So it's like Shigure. Shigure. Rather than. Shigure. You gotta get it the gre. Yeah. Um, but there's more there's more to the portrayals of relationships in Fruits Basket that may read as unusual to like unusual even, you know, in a Japanese context. Um, that platonic love is just as valuable as romantic love. That's not something you expect to see ever 
let alone in shoujo, which is a like known for being, you know, primarily a romantic genre. Um, and this is something we will talk more about in our second episode as we get to the second half of the series. But having deep and loving but platonic relationships between people of different genders is fairly unusual for shoujo and for much of American media. It's just not something you see that often. You might see, um, you know, a story about deep and abiding friendship between women. Mm-hmm. because women are allowed to have those kinds of relationships. It is very rare to see it between people of different genders. I mean, one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time is built on this premise, um, When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. Um, um, one thing that the one American media that does it really well is Kissing Booth. Mm. She does not get with her best friend. Um, the And like when it's, when it's between two men, it's usually a comedy. Like the film I Love You, Man is a lot better than anybody gives it credit for. <laughs> but but it still has to play off of like it's almost a joke. Exactly. There's there's a self-consciousness about the the fact that like this man doesn't have any close male friends. It's a bromance. Yeah, it's a bromance. Um it's just bullshit. Yeah, there's there's some self-consciousness in there there on the part of the movie. And that's like I mean, I'm t- again, I'm talking about American media here, but you don't really see platonic love between people of different genders. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that you expect. Um, we expect like when it comes to watching something and expecting romance, if two characters of different genders interact, people are shipping them. Right. Um, whereas you have characters like, uh, Cora and Asami who like fall in love over the course of a series and people say it comes out of nowhere because they, they, they don't have like the expectation that expectation of characters of the same gender and they're not thinking like when when these like when those two characters are consistently writing each other and only each other they're just thinking oh good friends exactly which is just bonkers to me they're like clear i was watching i'm just like oh this is how they fall in love right um that's not necessarily the case in Fruits Basket, where characters can have very intense relationships regardless of romantic or sexual attraction. And recognizing that platonic relationships are healthy and transformative is actually baked into the story. I think that's what makes Fruits Basket so satisfying. Like, of course I want there to be romance. I want them all to kiss. But like, uh, but like the love they currently share is like still really satisfying. And I'm not like the whole time I'm not like, oh my God. When are they going to kiss? It's more like everybody needs to kiss because y'all love each other (laughs) and it doesn't like you just truly love each other. And I don't I don't miss that romance. Mm -hmm. It just makes the the like like when Kyo makes her leek soup. It just makes that so much more impactful because it is obviously I would love I could watch Kyo make (sighs) leek soup. And be more fulfilled than if they kissed each other on the mouth. I know, right? I just, it's like those things where it's like, obviously he likes her, but that's also him just like being a good person. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just so good. And it, I think it's one of the things that the show does really well is that it gives me that satisfaction without the romance. And that's hard. Yeah. Especially for an American viewer. When you, when you think about like, I can, I can say just like in my own life that of course my, my marriage has been a transformative experience for me a like deeply loving and transformative experience for me a person who said love wasn't real um but also this is not exception this is also my relationships with my friends are beautiful transformative experiences uh, and i think that's something that fruits basket gets that not every piece of media does this well a lot of times it's like my friends are great but or 
my, no homo. My, by no homo. <laughs> my marriage is great, but. And it's like, no, no, no. How about and? Yeah. Have you like have you considered and? Yeah. Because all of these different relationships can be radical and transformative and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and that's I think what Fruits Basket excels at. Yeah, I agree. Um, so now I want to switch gears a bit uh, to talk about binary gender and gender play within this. Here series. we go. Um, it's there. It's there. Uh, Fruits Basket has a really interesting relationship with gender. That's it. That's the that's the that's, that's the episode. Um, on the one hand, it relies very heavily on gender binaries, and if not biological essentialism, meaning the belief that personality traits and interests stem from a biological source. Um, so, if not biological essentialism, then at least a sort of assumption that men are like this and women are like that, right? Men are always the perverts, never the women, right? Even uh, though they're like lusting after Yuki, right? Um, but then again, as we mentioned above, there's also some breaking down of that binary, not only in Kyo being a sundere and Yuki being bishonen, uh, but also in characters like Ritsu. Now, we're going to talk more about Ritsu oh, in our Ritsu. next episode because of things that haven't happened yet. So just put a pin in Ritsu. He'll be back in the next episode. Uh, there's also Momiji. I love Momiji. Wearing the girl's uniform, being mistaken for a girl. Um, and again, Yuki. Um, so this is another quote from Girls Return Home, uh, which is by Kuki Cho, who writes, Interestingly enough, it is not the female characters who exhibit and define what ladylike femininity should be. Rather, more often than not, it is the male characters who embody feminine physical traits, such as pretty faces, slender bodies, and the aforementioned graceful mannerisms that place the female subject as inferior to the male. In shoujo texts, being effeminate does not detract from the male character's appeal. Instead, it only enhances his charm and social status. As a matter of fact, the female subject is put in a lesser position because she is not able to perform femininity better than the male characters. As Judith Butler notes about gender construction, quote, identity is performatively constituted by the very expressions that are said to be its results, unquote. What Butler claims is that the performance aspect of one's gender is itself the process of constructing one's own gender identity. Uh, I, we talk about Judith Butler a lot, but this is kind as of we should. as we should. The core here is that um, gender is not an innate thing that comes out of your body. Gender You're not necessarily born with it. right gender is constructed it's performed the way that i am a woman is different from the way that somebody else is a woman and that source of womanhood that feeling of womanhood is something that we create as part i mean we could bring in deleuze here because why the fuck not <laughs> i am not a woman i am womaning yeah right kind of this kind no of deleuze oh I mean, deleuze when he's right he's right it's true um <laughs> so again why he comes up so much because yeah. we're right and now, now that I've grasped it I'm never going to shut the fuck up about Deleuze um, <laughs> well it's like really <clears throat> satisfying yeah and well I think it's a genuinely like when you when, I agree with it when you can wrap your mind around what the fuck he's saying it's like okay yeah it you know you're not wrong it kind of feels like a much more um, optimistic version of we're all really just dying <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're all we're, we live we exist in a state of becoming yeah um, not dying. Yeah. Uh, again, we have the popularity of Bishonen characters in shoujo manga as evidence of, of this quote, right? Yuki is not especially masculine until he's fighting Kyo. Um, but people like that about him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's handsome to the characters of the story, despite appearing more feminine than a character like Kyo. Uh, and notably, people seem especially attracted to Yuki 
when he wears a dress for the cultural festival. I just did not get this. Why they find him so appealing? Yes. Um, listen. I mean, I, I saw that photo of Oscar Isaac in a skirt and I said, yes, yes, sir. Like, maybe, I mean, maybe it's just like, obviously, like, I'm not attracted to Yuki. No. <laughs> so maybe it's just not my thing. I think, well, okay, think of it this way. It's not the dress that makes Yuki more attractive. It's the fact that he's wearing a dress. Yeah, no, you, I didn't. I don't. If I see a man wearing a skirt or I see a man wearing a dress, I have a different concept of that man mm-hmm. than I do in a suit. Okay. That tells okay. me something about the man. Okay. And they want him to be his sweet prince. Yeah. Yuki wearing a... Like, I'm sure there are some people who saw... You know, we're talking about fictional characters in a fictional story. But I'm sure there are some people who see Yuki in a dress and go, that's hot. Like, the yeah. fact the fact that Yuki is hot... and The fact that Yuki is hot and he's wearing a pretty dress, that itself is hot. There's also, there's also Yuki's wearing a dress that tells me something about the kind of person Yuki is and that something is attractive to me. Yeah, except if you look in his eyes <laughs> and then you're like, absolutely not. He's not having a good time in that dress. Um, so something about Yuki's feminine traits and the way that they they are like amplified by the dress makes him more appealing to these characters. We can't say for certain exactly what that is for the characters in the story, right? But Yuki does have a different appeal from Kyo, uh, who is more stereotypically masculine. And, you know, what does this tell us? Tell us, but that people like different kinds of men, right? Yeah. Not everybody is it. Mary and I are not attracted to the same kinds of men. We no. ma- There's overlap, of course. Sure. But we are not universally attracted to the same kinds of men. Like, really opposites, to be honest. Like you, I mean, I'm thinking of not like necessarily like like fictional looks. men. Yeah, I'm thinking of more of like you like a man covered in blood, and I like a man covered in blood that's not his. Right. So yeah, we have we we have like overlapping tastes, but they're not the same. We both like a man covered in blood. Yeah, but maybe not the same reason. The source of the blood is different. Um, yeah, we're normal. Uh, but Yuki also struggles with how people read him, especially when he wears a dress. Right. He has a whole conversation with Toru about how it's not a compliment to call a man cute, which is interesting in light of what we said earlier about cuteness having a connotation of weakness in Japanese culture. Um, Yuki in particular, but also Kyo, seems put off by alternate forms of gender expression. Um, I have a theory. I have a theory as to why that is, um, but it involves something that doesn't happen until the back half of the of the series. So just put a pin in it for now. Um, it's interest, but you know, just for now, it is interesting that the younger Somas seem weirded out by, say, Ritsu or Ayame selling dresses to men, uh, whereas Ayame is clearly chill with it, right? And while there's not a there's a lot going on with Ritsu that we'll save for the next episode, he also seems at least comfortable in his clothes, even if he is ashamed of why he wears them. And and please note that my choice of he him pronouns for Ritsu is again deliberate. Um, for I mean, he uses he, him pronouns in, in the original anime, but as we know, the original anime has some issues. So <laughs> um, I did choose the pronouns deliberately, and we'll talk more about this in the next episode. Um, this is a quote from A Man Who Can ex- Experience His Feelings, Fruits Basket, Toxic Masculinity, and Mental Health by Katie Rendazzo, um, who writes, Toru is the positive female figure in Yuki's life, offering alternative forms of masculinity and how she helps Yuki get over some of his own ingrained bias- biases. When their classmates force him into a dress for the school's cultural festival, accentuating his androgyny, Toro notices how beautiful he looks. Yuki feels emasculated by being forced to cross-dress. He tries to change his clothing, but Toro convinces him that being cute is not a bad thing for boys. As her mother used to say, it means I love you. And 
I think that that moment is like the beginning of a transformation for Yuki where he comes to realize that the things that he doesn't like about himself that are associated with femininity are not things that he has to hate. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think Yuki comes off as I think Kyo's self-consciousness uh, is he wears it on his sleeve. Right. Sure does. He can't hide a single emotion. He's incapable of it. He's constantly like he's constantly blushing. He's constantly lashing out. Mm. Um, the same is not true for Yuki, who is very difficult to read. He keeps his emotions in check. Um, and I think that this moment when Kyo or when uh, Toru tells him, you know, calling you cute doesn't it's not meant to be like demeaning. It's another way of saying I love you. That's a really that's a potentially transformative remark for for Yuki, who has come to associate that idea of cuteness or androgyny with something negative, especially because of his older brother, who is like so wild and out there and androgynous. Um, And so this this moment when she effectively says, no, the things that you hate so much, I love them about you is a moment for him to start to learn to love those things about himself as well. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of beginning to bridge this these negative feelings he has about his looks, I think, but also his his personality um, and the things that he associates with femininity, because there are not a lot of women in Yuki's life. I mean, yeah, it's just for so, like, why is it in the Zodiac? There's so few women. I don't know about that. Is interesting. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. It is sure. Is I will say we can we can talk about that next time. Um, so like that moment, I think is really important in in Yuki's development, even though it passes rather quickly. Um, so just to sw- just to switch gears a bit, uh, I have titled this section "Portrayals of Femininity" or "How Did They Make Toru Not Annoying?" I love this. Um, when you just describe Toru on the surface, sounds unbearable. She sounds like she should piss me off. I should be mad that this character is so relentlessly upbeat. She loves housework. Everybody expects her to do housework and she loves to do like I should hate it. I should be furious, right? It should make me feel like I did when um I don't know if you worked there when this happened, when an old coworker just was like, "Don't you just love to do your husband's laundry?" And I was like, I fucking hate it, actually. I don't love to do anybody's laundry. The idea was that she loved to take care of him. And I like there's fundamental differences between that and Toru. Mm -hmm. I, in fact, I fucking love Toru and I would die for her. I love her so much. Um, We talked talked a bit about Toru appearing perfect on the surface. She's kind. She's empathetic. She's hardworking, etc. But her flaws are also quite present. I think the fact that her her like kindness and her empathy and her selflessness is part of her flaws Mm -hmm. really helps her not feel annoying because it's not like it's it the way it's written is not like she's all those things and I as a viewer am seeing that it's like she's all these things and this show is showing me the viewer that that is a flaw right. Um, I'm not sure that her just her flaws being present would be enough to explain how she ends up not being super annoying. She is still she's relentlessly upbeat. She fixes everybody's problems and her sort of can do attitude could so easily be grating. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow they're not. I fucking love Toru. Much like her friends. If anybody said a mean thing about Toru, mm-hmm. I would fight them in the street. 
Um, and this is why, despite the fact that he is a child, I cannot stop hating Hero. I'm so sorry. I hate Hero more than every character on the show. I think that's fair. And I dislike Hero, but I feel like if Hero had his own show and he was 25 years old, I'd be down for it. Yeah. He's just, he's so mean. I can't, he's a literal child and I need to let it go, but I just hate him. I'm sorry. Um, he's so insecure that it almost feels okay. But it's Toru, so like I can't. I can't. I can't abide him being so mean to Toru, um, and I think that her friends, Toru's friends, are a big part of what makes her mm-hmm. not annoying. Because we see how much people love Toru, and we want to love her too. Just want to be accepted. Yeah, like we see we see how much her friends love her, and we're like, yeah, Same. she deserves it. Um, she's also constructed in a way that is really easy for me specifically to identify with. I also love cats. Uh, and I used to get upset about cartoons like Tom and Jerry or Sylvester and Tweety because I liked cats and the cats were always like kind of the villain in those stories. And so I didn't like them. The reason Missy and I relate to Toru different. <laughs> I mean, I like cats too, but I was never like, not many people are like Missy and Toru. <laughs> I, yeah, I have cat brain worms. Um, the, literally the, the cat litter got to you. Yeah. Literally cat brain worms. Um, much like making your protagonist a reader will make readers like them more. Like this is just a jet. Like if you write a book and your character loves to read in it, readers are going to like your character more than if she hates books. Why all the, all readers love Emily Henry because she (laughs) writes about readers or about authors. Um, so much like that, Toru liking cats so much that she's a bit weird about it makes me like her more because I too love cats so much that I'm a bit weird about it's it. Like it's almost cringy, but it works. Like yeah. how can she be cringe and be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> it's not cringe when Toru does it. This is like it's like this is the representation I crave. Yes. Is girls who like cats a little too much. Yeah. Um little <laughs> When I was a kid, this is just a this is just a fun story about me. <laughs> I t- I told everybody I was going to grow up and marry my cat, and the reason was because they didn't know that there was like a difference between platonic and romantic yeah. love, which works for this. Yeah, so like I you were too going to platonically marry your cat. Yeah, I thought that I loved my cat more than anybody else in the world. So the person I loved the most was my cat. Therefore, who did I want to grow up to marry? My cat. It just made sense. Um, I was a very small child, <laughs> but I remember this distinctly because I think everybody thought I was weird for saying it. Well, you are weird. I also said I was going to grow up to be a panther. So it's a cat and a panther. Yeah, it, it was fine. Worked. It would have, fi- it would have been fine. Um, a lot of what I like about Toru as a character comes not just from the fact that she is quite literally a nice girl, right? Cause it's, she's literally a nice girl. Um, but also because of how being a nice girl is treated within the narrative and what that is doing on a thematic level. I think my most Toru moment when I was younger would be telling my parents I would lay down my life for a mountain lion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Top 10 Toru moments. <laughs> it's not because I love mountain lions. It's because I remember <laughs> it is because I felt it's unfair for people. This is an elementary school. This is me. This is an elementary school, Mary unfair for people to come move in to someone else's home and then kill them because you now want you're right though i am this is a a consistent argument on my next door (laughs) because people keep moving in from cities and then being like how do i keep the raccoons out you don't baby you put a you put a lid on your garbage can yeah you You tape it down you moved here yeah what are you doing so like you're gonna have raccoons that's my toro moment and that is my (laughs) ultimate parents finding out who i am as a person. 
Um, but before we get too deep into the positives, I think it is worth acknowledging some of the criticisms of Toru's character, with the big one being that she is essentially playing mother to Shigure. Shigure. She? Shigure. Shigure. That's what it is. It's the emphasis on the she. Shigure. Uh, Kyo and Yuki. She, she is Wendy to the to, truly. to these, uh, Lost Boys. Truly. She cooks, she cleans, she solves their emotional and family problems. While they are clearly grateful, they don't pay her, which makes her sort of a live-in servant. Yeah. She um, is Wendy and Hero is Tinkerbell. <laughs> um, and, and oh my God, and Akito is Hook. Oh my God. Uh, while they're clearly grateful, they don't pay her. Uh, again, which makes her sort of live in servant. Yeah. It makes gestures like Kyo making her leek soup when she's ill extra impactful, but it also feels like there is an expectation that she will behave this way. Even if she likes it, we have to remember that she is written to like it, right? She's not a real person. She doesn't have actual likes and dislikes. And that that is not the same as a real person enjoying domestic tasks. Like... Like the coworker who said that she yeah. likes, she cares for, she likes caring for her husband and therefore she likes to do the laundry. Does she really like to do the laundry mm. or does she like caring for her husband? Because those she, are two different things. She likes, I, I feel like maybe I didn't explain that as well as I'm thinking about. She likes to do that because, and I, this is no just to anybody's religion. I want to make this clear, but this, this is only a just to this person and the way in which she performed her religion. Mm -hmm. um, it was very much like my religion tells me I need to be like literal words, subservient to my husband. Therefore I should be, and I'm serving God by doing his laundry. And that makes me happy and like, cool for you. But there's some like fundamental <laughs> issues that I personally have, you know, if that's you, if that's what you want to do, whatever. But like, but I do think that there's a, like the, this this argument reminds me of a of an argument that I don't think has had so much anymore. But like um, maybe when like a third wave feminist type of argument of that women should not choose to women who choose to stay at home aren't actually choosing to stay at home. They're doing what women are expected to when really some women choose to be home to take care of their mm -hmm. home and their children. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's still a job. Right. And to me, Toru very much feels like somebody who's chosen to do this because it legitimately makes her happy. It is it is definitely the way that she shows love yes. to other people. It is her love language. So which makes Kyo making the leek soup even more intense. He's he's speaking her love language yes. in that moment. Ugh. The thing the thing is that like Toru is constructed in this way and there is there is a gender element to what's going on and as much as like Again, I'm a person who does a lot of housework and who likes to cook. And that's part of my way of demonstrating love. I fucking hate it. Yeah. Now, I have a lot of I have a lot of uh, gendered housework hangups as a person um, just coming from the way that I was raised. So me coming late into life and learning to enjoy cooking, not as a gendered expectation, but as a way of demonstrating love was like genu genuinely important to me. Yeah. And see, like I had you had such an opposite reaction to that because I was told as I grew up, um, if you don't learn how to cook, you'll never get a man. Like my dad literally just, I, my dad is a good dad. He's not a bad dad. I don't want this to make it sound like he was abusive or like emotionally abusive, but he would, he would say to me, if you don't learn to cook, no one will date you and you'll end up like your aunt. Oh my God. Um, which only made me be like, well, I guess I fucking hate kick cooking. Don't I? Yeah. Whereas Missy was like, I need to get over this. It's the healthy thing to do. <laughs> I'm like, fuck that. I'll find someone to cook for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can find somebody to cook for you, that's ideal. 
Yeah, my I think my argument was, and it was a legitimate argument, and I still stand behind it. If someone doesn't want to be with me because I can't cook, then I don't want to be with that person. Yeah, no, that's legit. Yeah, that's legit. Like, let's not, let's not. <laughs> what are you doing, Dad? Yeah. Um, but I, I, the thing, the thing I want to like make clear is that um, I like again, I like Toru as a character resonates a lot with me the way that mm-hmm. she behaves. Um, but I also want to make clear that she is a she's a construct, and therefore mm-hmm. she doesn't have. Um, a complex relationship with housework and uh, gendered expectations the same way that I do. Mm -hmm. And so when I, on the surface, see a woman who is just dedicated to housework and who shows love through housework and everybody expects her to do housework because she's a woman, I'm a little critical of that. Yeah. Um, So this is another quote from Girls Return Home the essay by Kuki Cho, who writes, both Hanayori Dango and Fruits Basket feature a female protagonist who enters into the male protagonist's household as a housekeeper or maid. Though exhibiting domestic devotion to prove themselves worthy of acknowledgement by the male protagonist families, the females endure domestic drudgery and even violence inflicted upon them. Um, so put a pin in this idea because some of what I want to address here is better served in the second episode. Uh, but it's true. Toru is allowed to live with these boys initially because she is playing the role of housekeeper. Mm-hmm. It's through that initial role that they get to know and understand her. And it's the role that she continues to play. She nurtures people through cleaning and food and caring for children, even though she herself is a child. Did she start out not as a good cook? Am I remember that correctly? I, no, I think she was a good cook from the beginning. Okay. Especially c- to compared to whatever they were eating before okay. her. Um, and she does experience violence, maybe not as much as some of the other characters, but she is attacked and she experiences not just violence, but gendered violence mm-hmm. from Akito specifically. Um, so this is another quote here from the uh, Girls Return Home by Kuki Cho. So this is a quote from that essay. Akito is jealous and obsessed with Toru because he feels that his relatives pay more attention to her than to him. He lurks behind Toru's every move for an opportunity to find fault with her. In the final anime episode, Toru visits the main Soma household where Akito resides. Although she tries to emphasize with Akito's painful destiny, he ends up brutally attacking her. Akito grabs Toru by her hair and pushes her body down as if to make her kneel. The other two Soma members, Yuki and Hatori, try to stop Akito by holding him back, but Akito does not let go of his grip on Toru's hair. However, she does not resist and appears to be submitting through bowing. This evokes a sexualized imagery that is commonly associated with adult manga. As Allison explains, the relationship between female submission and sexual violence is a common theme in manga texts geared toward mature women. Quote, Women, of course, is primarily what and who men attack, and the construction of femaleness is based on this position. Unlike men, they do not, often cannot, run away, and despite being attacked, they typically do nothing to defend themselves, let alone try to fight back, unquote. How smart was it for them not to have Kyogo into that meeting? (laughs) Kyogo would have died. Yeah, it would have been a bloodbath. Um, I don't know that this encounter between Akito and Toru is meant to be sexual, as in I don't think that anybody, Akito included, is getting any kind of sexual gratification out of it. Um, But it is absolutely gendered. And I think think the author here is talking about um, this kind of positioning of woman on the floor, man grabbing her hair, mm-hmm. um, sexualized in the larger context of manga, not necessarily in this, but it is evoking the image, uh, a sexualized image, even if the interaction itself is not sexual. And because sex is often gendered with men in the in the dominant position and women in the submissive position, even though this encounter is not sexual, 
it is using sexualized mm-hmm. visual language to communicate something. I have a question. Uh-huh. And this is kind of going into the next anime. Do you, first, okay, for, there's two questions, two parts to this question. First, do you feel that Akito is much more feminized in the new anime? I am not going to answer that question. Okay. Well, then I don't know if you can answer the next one because I was going to say, do you think that this dynamic will change because of that? I am not going to answer that question. Oh, fuck. Sorry. You're- I think so, yes. Um, I know too much. Okay. Is what I'm going to say. Oh, uh, damn. Yeah. Uh, so Akito in the scene, who's the masculine figure, uh, represents, or sorry, he resents the intrusion of this woman onto what has, until this point, been a largely masculine space. And because of that, he grabs her by long hair, by her long hair and forces her to submit to him. It's also notable that the language that Akito uses when talking about Toro is he calls her ugly and unappealing. And it's kind of like, that's where you go? In the in the manga, he calls her a monster, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Toru in this scene takes the submissive slash feminine position, but in contradiction to the association of cuteness with weakness that we've been mm-hmm. talking about, she does not actually submit. Nope. She is in the submissive position, but she is not submitting. She loves Akito as fiercely as she loves everybody else. This is where her weakness is strength. Exactly. As much as this, I'm like, girl, there's no way you can <laughs> feel this. But like Toru, like this is where her weakness is shown in mm-hmm. the show as strength. Right. She is exhibiting something often referred to as radical kindness or radical empathy or compassion. Um, she was responding to hostility with kindness. And that act can be transformative. Has Akito ever experienced affection or love from somebody not obligated to love him? I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, no. Yeah. And so there is potential for this interaction where where Toru refuses to hate him and, in fact, chooses to love him. There's potential for that to be a transformative moment. I think so. I think especially when you take that moment, I feel like that's happening. And then in the manga, when Kyo is talking to Akito about how Toru essentially accepts him and Akito starts, like, trying to change the subject and be mm-hmm. like, like not listen to him because this idea of like acceptance and love that she can give to essentially this monster like that's scary for him well akito only knows how to get affection through fear yeah everybody is afraid of akito yes he does not know how to how to love and that's something that toru can do so easily with like no thought that when she's literally being physically threatened, she's still like, I love you. He doesn't know how to respond to that. Yeah. He's never seen anything like that. And so that is a moment of radical potential for Akito to change in the future. Um, Now, one thing I want to talk about very briefly is the fact there are problems with the idea of radical kindness, right? For one, in this instance, and in many others, it's gendered. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also puts the responsibility on the person being harmed. Like, yeah, it would be great if we could all, you know, love our oppressors into not being oppressors anymore. But the fact of the matter is, like, you know, me screaming at it or me screaming I love you at a misogynist is not going to change their mind. And like it, uh, like many times it'll do more damage to yourself. Exactly. Um, and of course, there are some conflicts that simply can't be solved with kindness. Right. I mean, not to talk about like stuff going on in real life, but that poem from the 90210 girl to Vladimir Putin. Oh, the like, if I was your mother, it's girlfriend, ultimate, ultimate, the worst. Like that's not going to fix it. Right. You are just 
I don't even know what you're doing. I want to say like you're trying to call attention to yourself, but I don't really think that's what it is. I think it's this absolute white. Yeah. Yes. It's something. Um, But, and this is an important one. uh, This is an important, but one that we also discussed in our episode on Steven universe. Um, We have to understand that this show isn't proposing radical kindness as a solution for all the world's problems. Right. It's showing that it is an option. It is not saying it's the right move all the time. It's saying, here's an alternative. Because, again, Akito has never experienced this before. Um, All of Yuki and Kyo's fighting, all of Akito's abuses, all of the camaraderie between the Soma family doesn't fix their many issues, right? Nothing is fixing that. But when Toru attempts to understand Akito, she has a breakthrough that nobody else has really had. It's not the only solution, and it wouldn't have happened had she not already had breakthroughs with other members of the Soma family. But it is a start, right? It's something. So I know you've had a lot already spoiled for you, and so maybe this is going to be the same situation which we just had. But do you think that possibly this this radical kindness, radical acceptance is what's going to lead to breaking the curse and like and Kyo gaining his self-control and Akito just fucking off? I, I cannot answer that question. I didn't think you could, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. I, I know answers to some of that. I don't know no answers to all of it. And so I don't want to in- accidentally spoil anything by answering any part of it. Okay, okay. I'm going to finish the anime like, in a week because I need to know the answer. I can't do that with the who, manga. But... People who are familiar with the whole story are probably like, they, they, know, they know what I know. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like okay I'm gonna have to like I, there's no way I can read the manga that fast I'm gonna have to watch yeah. the show the manga will take me literally every moment in which we have yeah um, I can do the I can do the anime yeah much like Steven Universe again this is a show for children and Cedar for young universe. adults huh Cedar Universe Cedar Universe um, the problems and solutions are complex but typically less complex than we expect of adult fiction so it is actually okay in my opinion for Toru's radical compassion to solve or begin to solve this problem it is presenting an alternative option not saying that this is the way forward in all circumstances right um, it's not saying that radical compassion from you know a 16 year old girl is going to solve world wars but I do like this idea of radical compassion being a mature way to deal with something yes I agree I think that that is radical on its own and um i think that it's a fine line but i think that the idea of cute and weak very much can be tied to this radical compassion and kindness and acceptance and that's bullshit yeah um so here's another quote from girls return home by cookie cho who writes when Toru realizes that most of the cursed Soma family members have been rejected by their own parents, she is able to empathize with their pain. Having lost both her parents through illness and a car accident, Toru understands the importance of parental love. She gives the Soma family members a feeling of yasuragi, or com- comfort, which enables them to open up and emotionally rely on her, even Akito, who has been rejected by his own mother. As Libra claims... Quote, a woman through motherhood becomes the most indispensable person in the household unquote toru's role as a mother wins her unconditional support and devotion from the soma family members which resembles that of mother-child relationship so obviously this story was written with toru a young girl in the role of the protagonist we do not have evidence for what it would look like if instead it focused on a young boy instead of a young girl but notably none of the young boys in this story take up this mothering or nurturing role that starts to heal everybody maybe because they are themselves trapped in this cycle of trauma but also i think because the expectation is that boys are not nurturing 
Uh, now, I don't believe that that's true because there is some biological element to boys that makes them incapable of nurturing, right? I think we know. I don't believe in biological essentialism. Um, and through Toru's influences, Yuki and, and Kyo do start to show nurturing traits, especially toward Toru. But I think it's worth noting how easily Toru becomes this mothering figure, as well as a recipient of both romantic and platonic love, which is kind of the role of a mother, right? Mm-hmm. Um Now, the thing I want to make clear is that while it is frustrating to have a character slip into this role because of gendered expectations, that doesn't inherently make the character bad, right? Um, In fact, I would argue that Fruits Basket is doing something very interesting Mm -hmm. in being shoujo by dealing with masculinity and femininity and by making Toru this very compassionate and feminine figure who is nonetheless very strong. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like this whole series really is about untangling misogyny from trauma and cultural teachings about women and femininity. I so totally agree with that. Just snaps. Yeah. Um, I can't fucking snap. <laughs> I'll do it for you. So I'm, I go to poetry readings and it's just soundless. You should get. You could probably get an app. <laughs> just snap for me. Um, again, we won't be able to discuss all of the evidence for this in full in this episode because of events that come later. But we can talk quite a bit about Toru. Um, so this is a quote from Shoujo Feminism or How I Learned to Love Women and Myself through Shoujo Manga, which is by Na- Naoko Hoshi. Now. I also had to do a blog for one of my classes. And I always feel like when you publish something as part of a blog for a class online, you probably don't expect it in a podcast. (laughs) So I apologize if you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this got quoted somewhere. I just had to write it for an assignment. It's good. You did a good job. You did a good job. So, um, So Hoshi writes, what I ultimately think is the radical feminist portrayal of shoujo manga is the reevaluation of feminine selflessness and the potential of a feminist politics based on selflessness. Kite alludes to the revolutionary potential of women's selfless girlhood. Quote, if gender theory is correct, then the key to women's liberation may not lie in reciprocity of otherness. Instead, women will be liberated by creating new social conditions that will forge alternative to men's current current conception of the relation between self and other unquote i would argue that women are already at the forefront of such movements which Mm -hmm. seek to break down the oppressive boundaries of self and other as emily garter among other many sorry among many other eco-feminists notes quote from its early stirring in victorian england to contemporary times one of the most striking characteristics of the animal rights movement is is that the majority of its activists are women unquote i had a whole class on eco-feminists it's very interesting. It's just one of those things you rarely hear about. So when I hear, I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> it's intense and it is very difficult yeah. to be like, yeah, I can get behind that. So yeah. anyone who can, like, <laughs> Um, So as you may have heard me talk about before, I get really frustrated with suggestions that women behave in a more masculine fashion to achieve more. Um, things like lean in culture, like stop using exclamation points in your emails because it makes you look weak. That Every kind of thing. time I use an exclamation point, I'm like, good thing I work with all women. <laughs> On the one hand, yeah, those are practical tips for being taken seriously, right? Sure, I acknowledge that. On the other hand, why is the way I choose to express myself the problem rather than the way that that expression is received? Yeah. Why is the onus on me to change when I'm expressing myself in a way that feels natural and comfortable to me? Yeah. I feel it's important for someone to know the tone in my voice. Yeah. I feel it's important for someone to know like when I'm excited for something, especially since I'm a person who feels, I really feel like as a whole, our culture doesn't give gratitude very well. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it, 
we tell each other like when uh, and this could just be my own need for gratitude but <laughs> I don't think that we tell people like when we truly appreciate each other and I feel like that simple use of using an exclamation point for me is like I'm letting you know I truly am excited about this or I really appreciate what you've done yeah. without me saying I really appreciate <laughs> that you have done this for me because yeah and like I understand that a lot of my desire to do these things is in like it comes from cultural concepts for gender I mm-hmm. want to be seen and understood in a particular way that is not like you can't disentangle it from my gender but at the same time why is my gender and my gender expression the problem and the answer is it's not right this is not the problem um but things associated with feminine femininity are devalued in our culture therefore they are seen as a problem uh hoshi argues here that in shoujo manga the exploration of feminine selflessness has radical potential in that it celebrates rather than denigrates the traits associated with women instead of for example looking at toru and saying she's weak because she cares so much if she punched akito all this would be over it says her compassion is her strength and when others emulate that compassion the world is transformed Mm -hmm. Again, the role model here is not Toru's toxic behavior when she is like sacrificing herself to the point of, you know, being sick. It's the fact that other people see that there is strength in her compassion and begin to emulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I want to be clear here that compassion and nurturing are not inherent traits to women. Women can be cruel and callous and murderous and men can be kind and nurturing. And anybody anywhere on the gender spectrum can exhibit any of these traits. Um, they are treats. <laughs> these <laughs> traits because we are not just a product of our genitalia but also our minds and experiences and hormones and nature and nurture and so on right we're very complex beings we're not in a vacuum we don't live in a vacuum there's always forces exercising us on us and we are always exercising we're forces. always being exercised i wish not not because not i like exercise but like like uh like a constantine exorcism <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> Two different things. Um, but what Hoshi argues and what I think Fruits Basket is showing is that instead of devaluing the traits often associated with women, shoujo manga celebrates them and makes them a source of strength. Mm-hmm. Um, so while Toru is cute in both the American and Japanese sense in that she's sweet and pretty, but also maybe a little weak, that cuteness isn't a flaw. Mm-hmm. Her perceived lack of strength is itself a strength. Mm-hmm. It just looks different from what we, how we would normally understand the word strength. This is another quote from that same essay, uh, Shoujo Feminism, or how I love to learn to love women and myself through Shoujo Manga by Naoko Hoshi, who writes, feminine selflessness is not necessarily about literally losing yourself, but about understanding that being a human being is necessarily is a necessarily social endeavor in which the boundaries of self and other are socially constructed and thus permeable. Indeed, as Midori learns throughout the series, she's referring to a different series here. Um, where is it? It is through her relationships with others that ultimately give her the power to flourish. We learn to like ourselves through liking others. In realizing, oh, in realizing my dependency on others, like Midori does, I be- can become not only a better feminist, but but perhaps a better person, and live happily ever after. I think that this, like the person who wrote this should be really proud because I feel like this really encapsulates like the fourth wave feminism of mm. like embracing just because like just because it's a stereotype of women that like, you can still embrace it mm-hmm. and that can be a form of power. Um, and like that's what I, that's a lot of what I'm getting from this person who's writing and like that works really well for yeah. like what Toro is doing and how we see her as a character. Yeah. 
Um, in Kisa's episode of the original anime, Yuki, and I think it's Toru, have a conversation about how sometimes it takes affirmation from another mm-hmm. person to begin to love yourself, which flies in the face of a lot of what we hear uh, in American culture as you can't love you can't love anybody until you love yourself. And like, I understand the logic behind that. But like, like I just said, gratitude is important. Yeah, I have a lot of love for other people. And throughout my life, I did not have a lot of love for myself. That doesn't mean that the love I experienced for other people wasn't true. Mm-hmm. It just meant that like, I still had some steps to go on my journey. Well, you know? also, like it, it simply is easier to build yourself up when other people are saying saying it right when you have nobody telling you it's more difficult so maybe it's not that you need that but that it's it's imperative to get to that point sooner Mm -hmm. you need you need some social approval to some degree to appreciate your characteristics and what hoshi is suggesting here is that humans are social creatures and the characteristics exhibited in shoujo manga encourage social behavior um in that earlier quote from srivdiya ramasubrahma Subramanian and Sarah Cornfield, they identified these behaviors as pro-social, right? They encourage us to communicate effectively um, and to work with people rather than against them. That's a key piece of shoujo manga. And again, Hoshi is arguing that rather than seeing these things as childish or as weak, we can see them as immensely beneficial ideas and behaviors and that they have genuine transformative power. They're not the solution in every situation. Mm -hmm. They are not the answer to all of the world's problems. But like, if we all behaved... And we're willing to grow as the characters in Fruits Baskets grow and that we start to realize that the things that are easy to us are harmful. And if we push back against them, then we become kinder, more empathetic and more social beings. That is like if everybody got that, the world would be a better place. Yeah. It's not that easy. And I don't think Fruits Basket is arguing that it's that easy. It is, in fact, quite hard. Yeah, I think that's showing how difficult it really is. Yeah. Um, But... At the same time, like it's showing that that potential for change is there and that it can really be transformative. Um, this is a quote from Hondu, uh, Honda Toru and the Strength of Nurturing, which is by Caitlin Moore, who writes, um, since that talent is something that is considered to come naturally to girls rather than throwing punches or swinging a sword, audiences tend to discount it as an actual as an actual strength. They don't consider that empathy is something learned rather than inborn, not t- nor take into account that it's quite literally text that it is a skill that takes a lot of conscious effort to learn. It's a pernicious cultural belief that leads to female-dominated caregiving professions like early childhood education, social work, and elder care to be underpaid and underappreciated. Toru never gives up on those around her, which takes an unbelievable amount of determination. I think this is, like, when I think back to my mom telling me, like, you get further in life by being nice, I think this distinction is where she lost this idea and something, like, moving forward with my future children will be important. Of Like, it takes strength to be nice Mm -hmm. and... It is not always easy and you can learn from that and you will get further as a person and therefore like emotionally through life mm-hmm. by being kind, by choosing kindness. Mm-hmm. And, and it's of, hard. It's, it's not hard. easy. And it's, instead of being what Toru is trying to get past of like being kind because you are submissive is not the right word but that's the only word that's coming to my mind right now but like there's a distinction there and I think that's that that lesson my mom was trying to teach me lacked that not that she I think she literally didn't have the tool to understand that Mm -hmm. um and be able to like instill that in me and so like when I hear nice gets you further in life I have that automatic like oh but when I hear it this way it's very much like yeah that's empowering Mm mm-hmm 
Um, and this echoes a lot of what we've already said with regard to these traits not being innate, right? Like it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like people are born kind or unkind. That that is created in some way, whatever, wherever it comes That's from. That's what we believe. It's just not. It's not something that you're just born with. Um, but I like what more adds here, which is that these are skills that must be learned and it takes work and effort to do so. Toru has learned to do these things and she teaches those around her through her example. Mm-hmm. Did you have something to add there? No. Okay. I My my note was, yeah, I love Toru. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is why I love Toru. <laughs> if Toru was just innately positive and compassionate, she would be uninteresting. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it would not be. It's not interesting to watch a person who's just naturally good at being good. Yeah. Um, it's the fact that she is those things despite her circumstances and the pain that she has endured that does make her endearing. Mm-hmm. It's just like I think it is easier for her to be kind than maybe for for Kyo to be kind. But that doesn't mean that it is easy for, for example, Toru to respond to Akito or Hiro with kindness like she's hurt. Yeah. by those things and she still chooses to be kind in response and that is the, that is the strong thing. She's not oblivious to her. No. That's she's oblivious why... to a lot of things. <laughs> well and that's why when she in the manga at least when she goes to ask to see Akito she asks to go alone and not tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's if she was oblivious she'd be like come on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong here. Um, this is a quote from The Always Smiling Girl, How Toro Critiques po- Toxic Positivity, which is by Olivia Livy Burke, who writes, Toro is established quickly as the type of person who will push her own feelings and struggles aside so that she can put others first. While she puts on a happy front, she herself is struggling, homeless, grieving her mother, and exhausted from overwork. When Yuki... Shigure and Kyosoma take her in. She insists that she is fine and makes a point to cover up her true feelings with kindness and a smile on her face. This sort of behavior is one kind of toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is essentially the belief that no matter what is going on in one's life or around them, one must maintain a, maintain a positive mindset. While it's good to try to look on the bright side, forcing oneself to be optimistic 100% of the time can do more harm than good as it forces the individual to suppress their true feelings and ignore their own needs. In Toru's case, she puts a pushes aside her struggles with her trauma and mental health in order to help her friends. That's why we all need a kill in our life. It's true. Um, what I think is easy to overlook here is that her efforts to be kind to everybody else are great, but it's because of those efforts that Kyo, Yuki, Uo, and Hana are able to reciprocate. Um, they each make a point of either telling directly or showing how Toru has impacted them through their actions, right? Like they make it pretty clear, Uo and Hana especially, that without Toru, they'd be different people. Mm-hmm. They were living very different lives. Yeah, and especially Uo. Yeah, especially Uo. Um, though they ni- might not be saying thank you in the most explicit way, they are expressing gratitude by returning all of the love that Toru has shown them in their own unique ways. Uo does not become Toru. No, I was surprised in how mean she was. Uo? Yeah. Yeah. She was so mean. And sh- and Toru managed to love her out of it. I know. It was just crazy. She was really showing Uo a different way to be. And yeah. so was Kyoko, for that matter. Yeah. Um, they don't let Toru poison herself by only helping others. In their own ways, Kyo's insistence that she be shelf- selfish and open up, Uo and Hana's protectiveness, Yuki's more verbal appreciation and the amount of time he spends with her. Uh-huh. Through all of those things, they're showing Toru how loved she is and they push her to love herself as much as she loves others. That's so true. Oh. Oh. I love this show. <laughs> I just love this show. 
It's so good. Uh, and this is a quote from the same the same essay, uh, The Always Smiling Girl by Olivia Livy Burke, who writes, While the people she loves grow because of her, Toru grows with them as well. Instead of being reduced to an unpaid therapist and constant shoulder to cry on or for the other characters who get more development, Toru learns that her hopes and dreams are just as important as theirs. Um, I think it would be a poor reading to take away from the show and from the manga that the way Toru acts is because she's a woman and that it's a good thing to be that selfless. I think that would be a poor reading. Yeah. Um, the show is championing feminine, feminine traits and kindness, but not at Toru's expense. There is a balance to be found between someone like Toru and someone like Kyo when we first meet him. Um, and they push each other closer and closer to finding that balance over time. Mm, I love them. Uh, seeing a character as kind and beloved as Toru is really validating and that's nice but it's more interesting and important that her being beloved doesn't mean that her loved ones let her off the hook for not caring about herself sometimes love is hard work there's like I mean marriage is hard work and that like then so love is hard work like you can't deny that there's some twitter discourse going on at the moment about what is meant by the phrase uh, marriage is hard work Really? Because some people some people understand it to mean that marriage is unpleasant. And and some people understand it to mean that being in a relationship can mean sometimes that you have to do things that are uncomfortable for you. I mean, I don't think unpleasant is the word I would use, but I would say sometimes marriage can be, I was about to say difficult, it can be not its best. I wouldn't use unpleasant. Yeah. Well, I, there's an association between work and unpleasantness i see um when i say that marriage can be hard work i mean it is hard work when i have had a bad day Mm -hmm. to not snap at my husband Mm -hmm. because that is indulging in my like basest instinct to let off steam it's it can be hard to not do that yeah when i when i like when i think like marriage is hard work i think and like ultimately love is hard work in that i think that not everybody is going to see eye to eye and it's important to realize the sacrifices that need to be made and like how do I explain this I've never thought about what this means because of like it just you just feel it Mm -hmm. if to me it feels more like I don't know how to explain it I think work is not bad yeah I don't think that yeah work is not bad and it's not always going to be easy and there's going to be ugly parts of it and there's Mm -hmm. going to be ugly parts of all of us but the work is getting past those and finding the good at the other end. Mm -hmm. And without that ugly, like sometimes you can't get to the good. It's not, it's not always easy to love somebody and it's not always easy to to be loved either. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I see it as like my mental health makes me really uh, like hard to love sometimes. mm -hmm. And my husband comes at it with absolute, like, I don't know how the fuck he does it (laughs) in just like such ease that it's just Sometimes I have to recognize the care he gives me and that I'm like, I'm not giving that same care back. Yeah. And I I think that that is something that this anime and this manga Mm -hmm. is showing really effectively is that loving, loving people can be quite difficult. Not, Mm -hmm. not just the, not just the idea of loving, right? It is easy. It's, I mean, it's not easy for everybody, but like me feeling love toward my husband is in fact quite easy. Mm -hmm. I can do it without thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. Me loving my husband enough to curb my worst impulses, Mm -hmm. the impulses that feel most comfortable to me, the indulgences that feel most comfortable to me, but that are harmful to people around me, my desire for Mm self-destruction, curbing those is work. And, And like when we're talking about, you know, the characters in the show, like 
Kyo, for example, has to learn that his tendency toward rage can be hurtful. Mm-hmm. And like, that's his natural response to things. I feel like Kyo. <laughs> <laughs> that's, his, that's his natural response to things is to, is to react with rage. Mm-hmm. And, and the work for him is to curb that, yeah. to curb that instinct. For Toru, it's easy to love it's not easy to love herself. And so the work that she has to put in is paying as much attention to herself as she pays to everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's difficult for her. That's, that's work. That's love. Like it is very easy to feel love. It is a lot harder to express it. Um, not just in saying I love you, but in the actions that mm-hmm. go along with that. Um, Kale's learning though. Yeah. A boy learning. <laughs> Not just in the way that Toru loves, but the way that people love her. Because for them, love is telling her to stop doing so much of the things that they love yeah. about her because they care about her as much as she cares about them. Yeah. To them, love is love is saying, stop caring about me. Care about yourself. And I think that's what's so important about her friends and Kyo, especially because they verbalize that. Yeah. Yuki is really good at verbalizing and like acting out like, I will care for you. Mm-hmm. Whereas... And her friends do that as well, but especially Kyo is very good at acting out like, no, this is what you need to take. Sometimes Kyo says things in a way that are like, I mean, I mean, this is just Kyo. They're too harsh. Like he says things in a mean fashion, Mm -hmm. but Toru needs to hear them said directly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She needs to hear stop. Yes. Don't do that. Yes. Like, it's not the way that, like, I would prefer to be spoken to. And I'm sure it's not the way that most people would prefer to be spoken to. And I'm sure if Kyo was more emotionally mature, he could express it in a way that is, like, even more impactful for Toru. He's not there yet. No. So for him to say, like, stop, you're being stupid. Like, that's that's hard for Toru to hear. That's work. But she has to hear it. But I think there's also this sense of, and like I fall into this, like this idea that's toxic of that Kyo is angry and mean. Therefore, when he says something like that, he truly means it. Yeah. Whereas Yuki might just be being nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, Fruit Basket's a good show. <laughs> it's such a good show. It's a good manga. It's, a good, it's so good. It's just a good. Yeah. It's very good. Um, do you have anything else to say? Um, I watched Turning Red, which is the new Pixar movie where um, the young girl turns into a red panda and uh, it has influence of the Fruits Basket. So if you like Fruits Basket, go watch it. It was so cute. <laughs> it was so good. also takes place in 2002 and it's great. <laughs> um, so that's going to do it for this episode. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has all of our previous episodes, um, such as our Steven Universe one, which I feel like is a good a nice pairing for this one. Um, you can also find a link to our podcast network, Penwich Studio, uh, which has lots of other great shows for you to check out. Um, if you like this podcast, consider leaving us a review on your podcast service of choice. Um, it's a nice thing to do. It's what, it Tor- it's what Toru it's would what do. It's what Toru would do. <laughs> um, She'd do it every day. Every single day. A new review from Toru. Um, next time, we will be doing the remaining chapters of Fruits Basket, as well as the second anime. Uh... We're going to do our best to hold to that schedule. There's a lot of fruits baskets, y'all. I don't think anybody would be upset, Missy. Yeah. I think they would all say, do what's best for you. What would Toru do? Would to- I'm going to be Kyo and be like, if this is <laughs> if this is going to harm you, then we can push it back. Yeah. Well, I'll see where I'm at by the end of this week. Because, um, I mean, I have to read it, too, and I'm much slow, but you do way more than me. So I'm a, I'm a busy girl. You are a busy girl. Uh, after Fruits Basket, we will be doing Eclipse, 
the torture continues. Uh, and then we will be doing St. Maud, followed, oh. followed by probably The Matrix. Um, so the Keanu Sants continues. I just rewatched The Matrix, so I'm going to have to watch it again, but like really watch it, not my like half ass watching it. But it's okay because, as I said, Keanu Reeves is a babe in that movie. I'm not into the sunglasses and trench coat, but like his face, Babely. Babely. I love that. I love the Babely. <laughs> so that's it. Catch on the flip side. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. And yet here we are, in defiance of Lovecraft, laughing through the darkness. The Lovely Craftians is an all-ladies Call of Cthulhu actual play podcast with horror, humor, and no small amount of chaos set in an occasionally familiar modern-day Chicago. Brought to you by Wampus House Productions and the Penwich Studio Network, you can find The Lovelies on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher, or anytime over at lovelycraftians.com. And remember, you never roll sanity alone here.